Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. Today, we have another installment in the series on historic church liturgy. We've covered things like prayer, music, and scripture reading. Today, a sermon on the gift of preaching. According to John, preaching has gone through several significant cycles throughout history, and we're going to learn more about that. But at the end of the day, proclaiming God's word through preaching is one of the primary means of grace for God's gathered guests. Let's dive now into this message called The Gift of Preaching the Word. Here's John with part three. So here's the question. Do we really need preaching today? Do we really need preachers? Do we really need in the church preaching? In recent years, some professing evangelicals have written books suggesting that preaching is an outdated and ineffective method of communicating the scriptures. So that means that I am an outdated, ineffective method for you. (laughs) Um, What they recommend is replacing the sermon with a dialogue on Sunday morning. Uh, they replace. They recommend replacing the sermon with films. Come to church and watch a movie. They also replace. Uh, recommend replacing the sermon with dramatic presentations. So, in view of this criticism, uh, it's vital that we understand why preaching is a central element in the church's worship. Somebody this past week suggested to me that the church. It doesn't matter. The church doesn't care why preaching's important. It was an interesting suggestion, but I think it is very important to not only ask, but also answer the question, why do we do what we do when we gather together in corporate worship each Lord's Day? Have you ever wondered yourself, why do we do those things? Why does the church kneel, we've already covered that, but why does the church confess their sin? Why do we pray these prayers, and why do we listen to sermons, and why do we sing? And that's what this whole series has been about, to help you understand why we do these things and what they're for. And so why do we do what we do? Um, If you look at our website, I believe also in the back of your bulletin or somewhere in the bulletin, it has an explanation of our service, a little brief explanation of our service to explain uh, what it is that we do and and briefly why we do it. Um, Let me just quickly go over that with you. Concerning the sermon, when we get to the sermon part, we write this. We say, quote, that the preaching of God's word is the high point um, of the service of the words. Remember, the, the word corporate worship is the service of the word, and the second part is the service of the sacrament. And so the high point of the first part of the worship service is the preaching of God's word. And then we say we are committed to apostolic preaching. Now, maybe some of you have read that on the website of the board. And go, what does that mean, right? What is apostolic preaching? It just sounds so, you know, official or whatever. Um, And then we say it's Christ-centered, redemptive, historical, and it's expository preaching and teaching. So that clarifies it, right? Let me unpack that very quickly, very simply, to help you know what you get every Sunday and what, what it is that we're doing. We're committed to apostolic preaching, which is, first of all, Christ-centered. 
Luke 24, Jesus tells us that all biblical passages testify in some way about him. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about an unfolding story of God saving the world in Christ. So the Bible is about Jesus. Is that simple? So apostolic preaching is Christ-centered. Second, Apostolic preaching is redemptive historical. So what does that mean? That's a big term. It simply means this. Redemptive historical method of preaching pays attention to the location and context of any given biblical passage of Scripture. As it is flowing out of God's outworking of redemption in history. From the Old Testament's promise to the fulfillment in Christ in the New Testament. Redemptive historical preaching recognizes that the Bible is an unfolding story, okay? An unfolding story, and it's progressive, it progresses somewhere, and it's redemptive, it's saving and historical, it happened in history. So the Bible's unfolding story is not all at once revealed in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, right? The Bible moves from anticipation and promise, which is the Old Testament, to realization and fulfillment in the New Testament. The Bible moves from what is implicit to what is explicit. The Bible moves from a bud to a full-grown flower. Is everybody with me? So whatever stage of development that you're in, redemptive historical preaching says that there's a single constant theme evidenced throughout the Bible, which is God's saving purpose in Christ for the world. Is that right with me? Why is this method important? Because it prevents believers from viewing the Bible as an unconnected, random group of isolated Bible stories that often degenerates into nothing more than Aesop's fables to where all these little stories and characters in the Bible have an exemplary and moral lesson. Let me give you some examples from evangelical books that I read on Amazon.com this week. Slaying the giants in your life. How many of you have heard that exemplary message from King David? Take the five smooth stones of character, whatever you want those to be, and slay those giants in your life. Um, Here's another one. The Daniel plan, 40 days to a healthier life. So we read the book of Daniel to learn how to get healthier, right? But tragically, that kind of exemplary and moralistic preaching prevents believers from learning how to read and understand the Bible's story. Let me say it as simply as I can. Redemptive historical preaching, apostolic preaching, is simply trying to help you get the story right. The many stories of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the judges and all the kings of Israel, if you don't have redemptive historical preaching, you know what all those little stories and all those characters are like? They're irrelevant and unconnected, you think, to the gospel. It's like you got the gospel in the New Testament, the Old Testament, you got a bunch of stories, right? And what is sad is that many don't know that all these stories and characters really are actually all genuinely connected together telling one story. 
as it slowly, progressively unfolds throughout history, and that one story, that one subject that binds all of these characters and all these stories together is Jesus Christ and the salvation God offers through him. That's the point. And so we believe in redemptive historical preaching. So you take those fancy words and you just tell people, we want to get the story right. We just want to tell the story right. That's all we're saying. And then third, we believe in apostolic preaching is expository. What is expository preaching? Well, essentially, it's the practice of explaining the meaning of a passage of Scripture. That's all it is. You're just explaining Scripture. That's the point of preaching. Explain the passage of Scripture, then apply it to the people's lives and their hearts. And so by this statement, we are committed to apostolic preaching, which sounds so, you know, obviously stuffy or formal. It's a powerful statement to the public and to the church of what we're committed to. We're saying that in our order of worship, in our liturgy, we want to be truly biblical, give a prominent place to the chief means of grace, God's word, and it comes through preaching, and we want to demonstrate to everyone that both the preacher and the entire congregation is committed to sitting under the authority of God's word. That's all we're saying. Biblical worship. So that's what we're committed to. And, and to help you understand the importance of preaching, I told you that I'm going to give you 10 reasons why preaching is vital or central to the church's worship. Last week, we looked at five. Let me just quickly rehearse them. We'll look at the last five this week. Preaching recognizes that the Word of God is the chief means of grace. It's the chief way we see Christ and receive Christ and all of his saving benefits. Second, preaching manifests Christ. It's not just talking about Christ. It makes Christ present through the working of the Holy Spirit. Christ is there. Third, preaching was central to both Jesus' and the apostles' ministries and to the early church. Fourth, preaching is God's instrument for producing faith. Martin Luther said that the ears, the ears alone are the organ of the Christian. Now, why would he say that? It's because faith comes by hearing, and hearing, Paul says, by the word of Christ. Since God's word and faith are both gifts from the gift giver, which is what we're talking about, since God's word and faith are gifts from the gift giver, the gift giver's chosen method of preaching as a medium is not incidental. Preaching puts us on the receiving end of things, which is the proper response to a gift, right? Hearing, receiving the gift. Fifth, we said preaching is necessary for growth and godliness. We showed you that the gospel is what encourages you to obey God. The same gospel that initially called us to our first conversion is the same gospel that perfects us in our faith. And that's why we preach the gospel every Sunday. Sixth, and here's the, the new one for this week, preaching is necessary for assurance. I can't tell you how important this one is. We, we, we just studied assurance this morning from chapter 18, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and uh, this truth is of vital importance to you as a believer. Listen carefully. If you are going to live a godly life, 
obey, obey God's law, pursue holiness, grow in sanctification, however you want to say it. If you're going to live a godly life, you have to first receive the comfort of the gospel. The very nature of obedience to God's law means that your soul must be comforted by the love of God in Christ. You cannot possibly obey God if you've not received the comfort of the gospel. I want you to think about that just for a minute. Can you love God and delight in him if you think he's your enemy? Can you love God and delight in him and want to live for him if you think that somewhere deep down, he's not really pleased with me? Can you love God if you do not believe that he's shown you love and mercy? I remember when I used to have a little mortgage company. It was doing great till 2008. <laughs> and if you're in that kind of business, you know what 2008 means. <laughs> Disaster. Um, but before 2008, all of my clients who were paying me mortgages were my best friends. I would call them up. We would talk on the phone. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, great. Got your check. Good. Yeah. Okay. I hope you have a good week. See you next month. Right? <laughs> um, it's going great. 2008 hits. They become my debtor. Well, they, are, they already were my debtor, but it, they didn't realize it. Right? <laughs> but, but they really realized, oh, I'm his debtor. Debtors make poor lovers. You can't find them. You have to hire lawyers to protect you because if you call them, they're going to sue you. <laughs> it's not a fun business at that point. It's torture. How many people, because they don't have assurance of the Father's love and mercy, act like they're debtors toward God? And they're poor lovers toward God and they don't want to obey because they're always running in fear because they have not received the comfort of the gospel. We're not debtors to God. The church is a debt-free zone. Jesus paid our debt. And so hearing the word of Christ grants us assurance. And so each week as the church gathers for worship, believers come to be reminded that their sins are forgiven. We said this morning in prime time, just think about the flow of the worship service. We read God's law ask you to get on your knees and humble yourself before Almighty God and confess you're a miserable sinner, right? Well, no, it's not like that. But we confess our sins and we ask the Lord to forgive us. Now, what if the liturgy went from confession while you're down on your knees confessing and asking for forgiveness, and then all of a sudden we say, okay, Kevin, let's sing. And you're left down on your knees. You just confess your sins. Like, this doesn't feel right. What comes after that in the service? The declaration of pardon. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, stand up, saint, and don't be afraid to come in God's presence. He's not here to condemn you. You can come off your knees and stand as a sign of resurrection, as a sign of freedom and grace. You can stand before a holy God and worship. Christ has got it covered. You're at peace with God. That's where the church leaves you. And if the church doesn't give you that, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, find a church that will give you that forever. 
Why is this important? We have to have good news proclaimed to us from outside of us because we have a hard time believing that this could actually be true. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, the fact that others assure me of God's grace makes the church community real for me. This assurance outside of me rules out any danger or hope that I might have fallen prey to an illusion. The confidence of faith arises not only out of solitude, but also out of the gathered assembly. And so the proclamation of God's love in Christ for sinners is the high point of the service of the word. And we need to hear it every week. Seventh, preaching is a mark of a true church. The pure preaching of the gospel is an indication that you're actually in a real church. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, which we've gone through twice in our church, right? <laughs> um, Paul warns that if a church rejects the gospel, it commits apostasy, and it's no longer part of the visible body of Christ, but comes under the curse and judgment of God. It's not a true church. Paul says that. I didn't say that. And so there are true churches, and there are false churches. And so the fact that a church claims to be a church doesn't mean that it's a true church. The reformers in the Reformation taught from Scripture that there are two undeniable marks of a true church. You know what they are? It is the pure preaching of the gospel, and it is the pure administration of Christ's sacraments as he instituted them, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some also had the faithful exercise of church discipline, but the point is the pure preaching of God's word, especially his gospel, is to be clearly affirmed and proclaimed if a church is to be considered a true church. And preaching, the pure preaching of God's word every week reminds and assures you, okay, I can rest, I'm in a true church. Theodore Beza Calvin's uh, student, right, successor, he said, where there is no word of God, but only the word of man, whoever he be, there is no faith there. He says, there's only a dream or an opinion which cannot fail but to deceive us. Next, preaching is necessary because the church is a supernatural creation of God's word. Preaching is necessary in worship because the church is a supernatural creation of God's word. You, as a believer in Christ, are a supernatural creation of God. Christianity is a religion of God's word, of the word. How did God create? By his word. Let there be what? Light, and there was light. And just as God created by his word, so he'll bring about a new creation by his proclaimed word, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, I want you to turn there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This is a powerful, powerful verse that connects the preaching and the gospel together and how God creates through it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul teaches 
that the proclamation of the gospel creates. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And he's picking up the theme of ex nihilo creation. Ex nihilo creation, that's just a fancy Latin phrase of which I don't know Latin, but I can read it through my study helps. But ex nihilo creation just simply means out of nothing. Okay? God created out of nothing by his word spoken. And so Paul is comparing in, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, the preaching of the gospel to God's original act of creating out of nothing. He quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Look what he says. For God who said his word, he spoke, he said, let light shine out of darkness. And when God spoke that word, what happened? Light shined out of darkness. <laughs> it's called a performative speech act. God speaks and it performs what was spoken. Light shone out of darkness. And so when God spoke this word of creation, Paul takes up on that and he says, this is what happens when the gospel is preached, proclaimed. God shines in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God spoke the creation into existence, Paul says, so now he speaks the new creation into existence. And he does this through his gospel. He does this through his word. And so an important question for us to ask is, why is the preaching of the gospel effectual and creative? Why? The answer is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through the means of preaching of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul describes the gospel as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes action through the proclamation of the gospel. This action is necessary because we are all spiritually blind apart from the work of the Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Therefore, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, unless the Holy Spirit enlightens man's understanding, he cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And he needs this supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to create something that is not there, which is sight. The Holy Spirit must enlighten our understanding to make us capable of receiving the light of the gospel. And if you're trusting Christ and seeing Christ and believing the gospel, that is evidence of the recreative supernatural action of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
And without the work of the Holy Spirit, the preaching has no power and it falls on deaf ears. This is why we always pray before every sermon in the liturgy, the prayer of illumination. So there's another big liturgical term, the prayer of illumination, right? (laughs) It is now time to pray. Let us pray. All that means is, is we're asking the Holy Spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves or for anybody who is present. And so this is what we write on our website concerning the prayer of illumination that that precedes every sermon we preach in this church. Quote, we highly value the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to understand the Christ-centered truth of the Bible. And so he asked the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to understand the meaning of the Scriptures, and to apply the Scriptures to our lives. For apart from the work of the Spirit, the Bible is a dead letter, and the Christian life is impossible, end quote. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Preaching the Word, Part 3. We'll hear the concluding Part 4 of this message next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.